0: Our scripture reading for today is from Ruth, chapter 1, verses 8 through 22. After a short while on the road, Naomi told her two daughters-in-law, Go back. Go home. Live with your mothers. And may God treat you as graciously as you treated your deceased husbands and me. May God give each of you a new home and a new husband She kissed them, and and they cried openly. They said, no, we're going on with you and to be your people. But Naomi was firm. Go back, my dear daughters. Why would you come with me? Do you suppose I still have sons in my womb who can become your future husbands? Go back, dear daughters, on your way, please. I'm too old to get a husband. Why, even if I said there's still hope in this very night got a man and had sons. Can you imagine being satisfied to wait until they were grown? Would you wait that long to get married again? No, dear daughters, this is a bitter pill for me to swallow, more bitter than for you. God has dealt me a hard blow. Again, they cried openly. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth embraced her and held on. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and God's go with her. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't, don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. And where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. And your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. Then Naomi saw that Ruth had set her heart in going with her. So she gave in. And so the two of them traveled on together to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was soon buzzing. Is this really our Naomi? And after all this time? But she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. The strong one has dealt me a bitter blow. I left here full of life. And God has brought me back with nothing but the clothes on my back. Why would you call me Naomi? God certainly doesn't. The strong one ruined me. And so Naomi was back and Ruth the foreigner with her back from the country of Moab. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Amen. Amen.
1: Yeah, good morning and welcome. And before I get going here, I'd like to actually welcome a special guest with us today. This is my good friend, Kevin York. Kevin's here on the front row with us. And Kevin uh, is the executive director of Every Nation Churches. He lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And he is here today to mark our formal joining uh, with Every Nation Churches. You may know we've had a looser affiliation with them over the years and had a number of guest speakers and ministers and have an Every Nation campus chapter at UT Austin. But uh, our elder team has felt led. To formalize our relationship, and so he's here, and he'll give us a greeting here uh, at the end of our service today. We, you may know, we brought this attention to this this to your attention. Sorry, I'm rusty. It's been a couple weeks. I'm going to get going here to your attention uh, back in November. So uh, again, he'll be up here greeting us uh, briefly at the end of the service today. So we are beginning a brand new series for the month of January as you can see called Better Together and we're looking at how and why the gospel makes us better together and more specifically we'll be looking at how we can fulfill our mission to honor God and make disciples in a multi-generational and multi-ethnic context and as you can see we're doing it from the book of Ruth and I'll begin by asking you a couple of questions. What's it going to take to be the church we're called to be. What's it going to take to be the person you're called to be? What do you need to do and have in you down on the inside to thrive in life this coming year? In the gap between where you are now and where you'll be this time next year, what's it going to take? Well, quite simply, I'm going to suggest to you today, you need to make a certain kind of choice. Because in the gap between now and then, between your present today and your your future, then lies a choice to make. And this choice can change everything. This choice will move heaven and earth. It'll move people and resources your way. Today, I want to talk to you about the power of Of a choice, and it's not just any kind of choice, it's actually a choice, as you'll see, that lies at the heart of God's plan to bring His redemption and salvation into the world through your life and through this church. Today, I'm going to ask you to make the same kind of choice that Ruth makes in the little book that bears. Her name. What kind of a choice was it? Three things I want you to see about it. First, it was a powerful choice. Second, it was a, a principled choice. And third, it's a prophetic choice and we'll unpack these as we go. Number one, Ruth makes a powerful choice and let me set the story up for you a bit. We weren't able to get all of chapter one in the reading. Uh, The book of Ruth, you may know, takes place around 1300 BC during the time of the judges, after the time of Moses and the Exodus and before the time of David and the kings. It was sort of a no man's land. In terms of God's redemptive history. And so here into that no man's land we're introduced to one man's family. The family of a man named Elimelech. And Elimelech had a wife named Naomi and he had two sons. And when a massive famine hit the nation of Israel in his hometown Bethlehem. His family flees in desperation as refugees to the neighboring and hostile nation of Moab. it's one of Israel's enemies, and they try to survive and carve out a new life, and they make it there, and they survive. But then, while they're there, tragedy strikes again. First, it appears that things got so bad, and times got so tough, that Elimelech abandoned his faith. Because as you can see in the text, he gave his two sons, Malon and Achilion, pagan Moabite names. Not Jewish names, but Moabite names. And he didn't teach his sons to fear God as they grew up and they married pagan idol-worshiping women and then though beyond even Naomi's worst fears it got worse because not only did her husband die but then her two sons died leaving all three women there in a male-dominated culture without options without provision and without hope and then the story goes in the midst of her grief she's now the matriarch not a leader of her family Naomi makes the fateful choice to try to return to her homeland to her ancestral land of Bethlehem and to somehow anyhow cast the dice and survive there but then at a certain point, knowing how hard the journey's going to be as she's on the road back to Bethlehem with her two daughters-in-law, she knows she's getting it. It dawns upon her how hard their lives are going to be as widows, as foreigners, as racial outsiders, and as women. And Naomi stops. She turns and she urges both her daughters-in-law to go back. And this is what she said to them. And I'll do my best. It's not as good as Eric Ryan, but it's still my best anyway. And she said, go back. How many of you would like Eric to read you the Bible on CD every night as you go on bed? That was pretty amazing. Yeah. She said, go home and live with your mother. She's urging them, may God treat you as graciously as you've treated me. May God give you a new home and husband. And she kissed them, and they cried openly. But they said, no, we're going on with you to your people. So at first, Orpah and Ruth, they're on the road. They're standing there. They say, hey, yeah, great. You know, thanks for the heads up. We know it's going to be hard, but we're going on. We're going with you. But I wonder. If Naomi didn't catch something in Orpa's voice that suggested something less than conviction... Because as you can see, she now turns and she urges the other women to go back again. A second time, even more forcefully, she tries to paint a picture of their possibly hopeless future. She says, where are you guys going to go? How are you going to get husbands in a, in, a, in a foreign land as racial outsiders, faith outsiders? Even if I had sons tonight, you wouldn't wait for them to grow up, would you? And so here now is the turning point in the story for Orpah and Ruth. Because when they are offered the chance to have it easier, when they're offered the chance to leave Naomi and face the prospect of a difficult future, when they are offered the chance to go back to their own homes and their own culture and their own way of life and their own way of worship, and when they are offered the chance to get away from a difficult relational situation already marked by years of pain and frustration, and when they are offered the chance to avoid a difficult road defined by a multi-generational and a multi-ethnic choice. Orpah leaves. Orpah leaves. She walks away. It says that. It says, again, they cried openly. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. And listen, I appreciate the writer here. This acknowledges the very real difficulty, inner turmoil that Orpah was facing. It doesn't judge her for walking away, right? No, it doesn't. She made it past Naomi's first hurdle. She continues to walk with her. But when she really realized what it was going to cost her to go on, when it became crystal clear what staying meant, she kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. She walked away. Of course, we never hear from her in the story again and now though things have hit rock bottom for ruth first she's lost her father-in-law then she's lost her husband and now her only real friend is left the only one who knew her the only one who knew her culture her family all the way to the bottom just turned around and left someone who was like family someone who had walked with her for more than a decade of her life when things got too tough She just walked out and left. Turn around, just like that. And when Orpah left, Naomi gave Ruth one more chance to do the same. She said, look, 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 look. Can't you see your sister-in-law, right? She's going back home to be with her own who? People and gods. Go with her. So what would Ruth do? How would she respond? What would she do when she was given a chance to go back to her own culture and way of worship. Would she, would she move on? No. See, Ruth makes arguably the most powerful choice in all the Old Testament. Ruth makes the powerful, multi-generational, multi-ethnic choice to remain in relationship with Naomi all the way to the end. Look at what it says. It says, but Ruth, don't you love it? Ruth embraced her and held her on and what I'm saying to you church today is I'm embracing you I'm holding on to who we are together look at what Ruth says oh again not as good as Eric Ryan but pretty good Ruth said don't force me to leave you don't make me go home where you go I'll go where you live I'll live your people are my people your God is my God where you die I'll die that's where I'll be buried so help me God not even what death itself is going to come between us listen not only is this beautiful language and it is not only is Ruth here converting this is her moment of conversion she's turning away from false gods in the Hebrew she takes the name Yahweh God's covenant name God's love name on her lips here this is her point of conversion not only that but right here Ruth shows you the one powerful choice behind any important relationship in your life hear me What's at the bottom of relationships that move heaven and earth are not feelings, but a choice. What's at the bottom of a strong marriage covenant today are not feelings, but a choice. What's at the bottom of strong relationships between you and your friends or you and your family or you and your parents or children and the people of God he's called you to walk with. The thing that keeps the drain plugged in the bottom of the ocean That keeps all the water from going out is a choice. A choice that says we are going forward together no matter what. A choice that says I am willing to pay the price necessary to do what it takes to close the gap between us. Ruth is making a covenantal relationship with Naomi that says no matter what you and I are walking together. Doesn't matter if my friends go, doesn't matter if my family goes, I'm going with you. The only thing that's going to separate us, Naomi, is if one of us dies. Death itself. Now, those are powerful words. Those are big words. Those are scary words. Scary words. But those are Are words that move God's kingdom forward. And especially, especially, especially in a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church, those are words, I believe, where God does his greatest work. Why? Here's why. Let me ask you: what after all is Love, yeah, love, the four-letter word, right? The, the, the love, a couple definitions, love is giving of yourself when it is most difficult and least deserved. Love is giving of yourself when you have nothing to gain from the relationship. Love is extending yourself past the point of comfort into the territory of pain to make sure you don't lose what you know is most precious. That's love. And in a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church, going on mission to make disciples together is a difficult challenge. And you all know this. I'm about to get the most amens I've ever gotten in my life. It's, about, it's easier, here it is, to go and be where your people are your people. Where folk your age are your age. You know, they know your TV shows. It's like cheers. Everybody knows your name. I know that. Sorry, it's my Gen X reference for you. I'm, see if I can't work in, you know, Boomer and Gen Y and whoever else is in here in the room in a minute. But you know, it's just easier to go back to my father's land and my way of worship. It just feels easier. Oh, but we confuse love and ease. We do this all the time. We think if it's love, it's just going to be easy. I know I thought that going into my marriage, for example, I thought it's going to feel great all the time. And I can't wait for Carrie to know me and my every whim and desire and need. And I can't wait for all those moments. She's going to overlook all my deepest flaws without saying anything. You know what? I didn't go into marriage thinking. I didn't go in, I can't wait to learn all about her whims and desires and needs. I can't wait to overlook all her deepest flaws without saying anything to her. But listen, since Carrie and I have spoken those covenant words to each other under a palm tree, didn't we, baby, in California on March 10, 2001, we've had all kind of opportunities to run away from a discomfort and pain, and we didn't, and I'm so glad we didn't. Do you know what kept us there? This, the power of a choice. Power of a choice. And that choice to love is what is at the bottom of any church, let alone a multi-generational, multi-ethnic one, that's also full of crazy, strange people from places like New York, right? (laughs) From California, even some Aggies in here, Baylor Bears, Red Raiders, we love all of you, right? That's Ruth's choice. It's powerful. And it quite literally changed the world. Because this kind of a choice is just unheard of. That's why there's a whole book about it, right? A choice to prioritize a multi-generational, multi-racial relationship to bring God's kingdom into the world is just unheard of. We're still talking about it today. That's how powerful it is. That was her choice. It's a powerful choice. But number two, let me show you now what's inside this choice. Sort of the anatomy, the structure of the choice. Number two, there's a principle choice she's making. There are at least, at least, five principles here I want to draw out of Ruth's choice and go through them briefly in turn. First, here's the first principle in Ruth's choice. At the point of relational strain, both God and Satan Have an agenda. Hear this. And you can't see either one. You can't see either one. All you can see, all you can feel is the pain, the hurt, the challenge. And your breakthrough, though, it never comes until after you make the choice, the powerful choice... To move where you know God's called you to move. See, God's redemptive history is on the line here, right? Later on, we see that King David comes through. Ruth's line, God's redemptive plan and history was on the line here. Don't you know? The enemy would have used anything, racial differences, ethnic differences, generational differences, to keep God's plan from coming together. But Ruth's principal choice, into the teeth of all that adversity, carried the day and carried God's plan into the world. Number two, I love this. You actually get to choose your own relational future. Here's what I mean. When Ruth did what she did for Naomi, hear this, I love this. She created the very circumstances that would redeem her own life. See, we don't see it here in chapter one, but in the next chapter, we see a man named Boaz, a man she eventually married. Boaz says to her, oh, Ruth, everybody's heard about the sacrifice she made. He calls her a woman of excellence. He says, everybody knows that when even Orpah walked out on him, you stayed, you did this for Naomi. He says that word of that is spread. And in the end, because Ruth chose Naomi, Boaz chose Ruth. Ruth, because Ruth stayed, because she worked to redeem Naomi's life in small ways, Boaz marries Ruth and redeems her life in big ways. And when you make the difficult choice to stay in that relationship, and I'm not talking about some twisted or an abusive relationship, that's different, that's nothing like what's being described here, but when you make the choice to stay and redeem a difficult relationship, you, hear me, are sowing your own future sow in your own future when you make the choice to love you actually begin to attract God's healing and redemptive resources hear me your Naomi comes before your Boaz your Naomi comes before your Boaz everybody wants their Boaz first nobody wants their Naomi first but listen but when you sow God gives back oh what she got back from Boaz Though she couldn't see how it was going to work out. was far greater than anything she ever gave in Naomi. Amen. She said, faith, redemption, trust. And God gave it all back. Third, hear me. Your pain, I love this, is always redemptive. It's redemptive. Look at Naomi's life here, right? It's apparently broken. Her life is destitute. But unlike Elimelech, like her husband, who when, honestly, financial times got too tough... And he abandoned his faith. Naomi stays in a relationship with the God who was way bigger than her imagination ever could have seen, even through famine and death. You say, well, you know, she did seem pretty bitter by the end, called herself bitter, you know, said she was, you know, really mad and angry. Yes. But who was she mad at? oh God right she says the Lord has dealt bitterly with me she stays in a relationship with God through her pain but guess who was watching guess who was watching Ruth was Ruth watched Naomi wrestle with God in the middle of tragedy and it was Naomi's wrestling that brought Ruth to faith in the one true God listen anybody can serve God when times are good Waters are smooth. Bills are paid. But when it all turns against you, where do you go? Ruth was shown a God worth staying in relationship with. Who knows who's watching you right now, today, even in the midst of your pain. Your pain's never wasted. It's always redemptive, evangelistic in the end. Fourth, this also shows us what it means to be reconciled to someone. But it means to be reconciled as someone. Hear me. To be reconciled as someone doesn't mean you have to have everything in common. And aren't you glad, right? To be reconciled doesn't mean you have to look alike, think alike, dress alike. Even know everything about that other person or their background or culture. Although it will help. We'll get to that. To be reconciled, though, simply means to be settled. When you reconcile a bank account, what does it mean? it means to be settled it means it's done it means it's over and to be a reconciled people means we don't have to vote alike dress alike like the same music to be reconciled just means we believe what the new testament calls the people of god one in jesus we are one it's settled and this is the principle being a reconciled people isn't a matter of having a common interest it's an issue of making a spiritual decision. See, to be reconciled means you make the decision to walk together and you work it all out down from there. Thank you for what I meant. That was a little tough one, I know. I'll try one. You'll like this one better, I promise. All right. Number five. If there's a price tag on your relationships, and will pay it, Look at the unbelievably hurtful thing for example. Naomi says at the end of chapter 1, when she comes back after a decade of being gone, after leaving the hometown, right, get the scene in your mind, leaving the hometown with her husband and her sons, 10 years later she staggers back, you know, into the, the old west town with the tumbleweeds blowing across the street. She turns up out of the blue, but she's got Ruth with her, right? she Ruth is converted to faith in one true God. She's making a disciple uh, and Ruth has promised to stay with Naomi forever. But what does Naomi say to her friends? When she comes back, she says, I left here full of life, and God's brought me back with nothing but the clothes on my back. Of course, you got to know Ruth standing there thinking, who am I?" You know? you know, job liver? Nothing on your back, huh, lady? What about the whole speech I gave about death and your people and your God? I'm not going anywhere. What about that thing, huh? Nothing. Ruth is literally standing there when Naomi says that, which just shows you also, by the way, that when you're in pain and when you're hurting and when you feel like God or others have dealt bitterly with you, you can't see the great thing right in front of your nose. Naomi was so concerned about who wasn't with her. Who she lost along the way. She couldn't see who was with her in her moment of redemption. Listen, as a church, I'm appealing to you. Let's not be so consumed by who isn't with us. That we overlook and we take for granted who is with us. As Elijah said, look, at him, well, there's more with us than there are against us. Hear me. But right here, the enemy, she's he's trying to pay Ruth's price tag which I believe is many of yours. I know it's been mine along the way, which is to be overlooked, to be overlooked. Because right here, right after Ruth makes the commitment of a lifetime, that self-same commitment is tested and yours will be too if you make the same commitment. She says, oh, Naomi, nothing but death can separate us. But then she got the opportunity immediately to bail on it. Right, why? Because she, w- she could have taken what one writer-author called the bait of Satan, which is offense, to be offended. Who loved Naomi more than anybody? Who? Ruth did, right? Who kept her alive? Ruth. Who stuck with her when no one else would? Ruth. And what does Naomi call her? Nothing. Nothing. What do you think Ruth felt? I think she felt used, overlooked, forgotten right and you know what she was in that moment she really was naomi in her poverty and fear and pain forgot and overlooked Ruth. And let me tell you, many times that thing feels like the cruelest blow of all in the human soul. The human soul can hardly bear it sometimes. That kind of thing, honestly, it strikes so much fear in me. The fear of being used, right? And left. The thought you could give your best to people. And in the end, you're tried and found wanting. Hmm. That's frightening. But that's exactly... What happened to Ruth? But this here, oh, this moment is how and why she shines. This is why she's powerful. This is why she's to be admired and revered and honored. She showed she had no price tag in her relationships. The enemy tried, but couldn't find a way in. Ruth, in the end, proved to be her namesake, which her name name literally means friendship. Friendship, yeah. Listen, these principles and others... We're at work in her life. Aren't they wonderful? They're great. And she lived by them even when it cost her. So, what about you and me today, huh? You're saying, man, this is a lot to live up to. Wow. Where can I get the power, the heart oomph, the horsepower to make the same kind of choice and live by the same kind of principles? Number three, I want you to see this prophetic choice here. Because Ruth doesn't make just a powerful choice. She doesn't make just a principal choice. Her choice shows us something prophetic, an insight about how God works in your life and in the world. Now, you don't see it in chapter one, but when you get to the the end of the book, and we'll get there, uh, the wedding of Ruth and Boaz is celebrated. Soon after, she conceives. She has a child. They name the child Obed. Not many of you going around with that name in, in kids today, but so be it. Still a good Bible name. That, but that child himself has a child who has a child and who grows up to be Israel's greatest king, David. And David has a child who has a child who has a child who has a child. And many centuries later, one of those children would be Jesus, the Christ the messiah. And then in the New Testament, when you get to the very first book about the life of Jesus of Nazareth in the Gospel of Matthew, he lists all the parents, all the four fathers of Jesus, which was a way of creating a first century resume. A list someone's ancestors was a way of trying to prove someone's worth. It was like listing a per- person's references. It was a way to say, if you want to know what this person is like, go talk to them, go look at them talking with this person in the past, helps you understand him or her in the present. And Matthew is saying he wants you to, in other words, if he's saying, if you want to understand who Jesus is, you got to understand who Ruth is. See, Matthew didn't just list a whole bunch of men. He did something unheard of in his day, included a number of women in the line of Jesus. And one of them was Ruth. And who was Ruth, an outsider, homeless, a stranger, a foreigner in a strange land who worked for the redemption of a broken life. You say, well, that's kind of nice. Sounds like God likes to root for the underdog. He does. But it's more than that, more than that. Matthew is saying, to really see Jesus, you've got to really see who Ruth is. And if you see Ruth truly, you can see who Jesus is and what he came to do for you. You Say, how can I see that? Like this. Like Ruth looked at Naomi. Jesus looked at you having nothing. Having nothing you could do for him. Having nothing you could give to him. Having nothing you could provide for him. And he came into your life the ultimate outsider the ultimate racial outsider in a way the ultimate foreigner into our world and he looked at us and said oh your people are going to be my people my god is going to be your god where you go i'll go i'll never leave you i'll never forsake you oh but jesus is greater than ruth because unlike ruth who actually lost naomi in death jesus loved you so much that even his death couldn't keep you from him he was resurrected as the son of god with power to redeem every last broken bit of your life ruth's choice is prophetic and it shows you how and why jesus chooses you you can do nothing for him can't give anything to him but he covenants with you to save you and that's the gospel And when you see Jesus choosing you like that, loving you like that, not looking for what he has in common, but making himself as nothing for you, now you can move into someone else's life like that. Let me apply what you've heard briefly in three ways today. I'll entitle all these little application points here with M-E beginnings, as in multi-ethnic. Number one, to move forward here in this church to choose to make this same choice means you're choosing three things today. Number one, means you're making a choice to choose mutual exchange, mutual exchange. And I think that part of the reason Ruth could make the decision to go back with Naomi is because Naomi had walked a mile in her shoes in her land see shared experiences walking a mile in someone else's culture that's powerful that's bonding That's why we encourage you at least nothing less than to gather in multi-ethnic community groups share your life together what you've been through the best part of your culture right discipleship is relationship so choose to mutually exchange your life with someone else's number two i'm asking you to choose this morning massive empathy empathy in relationships asks two questions and you've been sitting through this whole thing maybe for nothing else than these two thoughts right here all right empathy asks what's it like to be you what's it like to be you? how can i care for you but number two what's it like to be in relationship with me Uh uh-oh uh-oh first question's good second question's deep first question requires time second question requires courage So let's do this for one another. Let's ask, what's it like to be you? And what's it like to be in relationship with me? That's the starting point for healthy relationships. But number three, I'm asking you also today for this year to choose a missional environment. Because in the end, we're not just here to gather together and sing nice songs and get real excited. We're here to do something big and bold and brave together. We're here to see people come to know a risen savior who loves them and gave his life for them. Be discipled in a multi-generational, multi-ethnic context. Develop the skills, because that's tough too, to pass on to others and be sent into the world to do the same. And yes, we are going to hold hands. And yes, we're going to process pain together because that's what families do. But we're also going to multiply and reach new people and grow. And by the way, if there's any reason I want to be free of blinders and biases is because I want to be used by God to be a difference maker in the world. I hope you can say the same. Last week, you may know that Carrie and I and our, our family took a little trip uh, to Colorado for a family reunion of sorts, and uh, the sort of the high point for me came about halfway <clears throat> through the trip when I got to fulfill sort of a little lifetime dream, and I got to take my kids snow skiing with me. And uh, we found this literal like one lift place on the side of a road somewhere, but it didn't matter because the snow was great, and we had a, a great day. And if you've ever tried to snow ski, you may know that it can be pretty tricky at first and after a few hours one of my sons in particular was really struggling having a hard time there were some tears may have been some tantrums may have been some temptation to abandon him there on the mountain to (laughs) avoid any kind of um, being recognized with him but some moments when he wanted to quit he fell over we said buddy it's okay no worries you can just I guess slide down your bottom down the mountain and be done it's okay no shame but he I said you can't stay here but he says no I'm not gonna quit all right I said why not he says because I want to go with you all the way to the top and the lift there went about halfway, dropped folks off for the beginner slopes. Then it went to the top of the mountain for the harder stuff. And I, I said, well, that's, that's kind of the tougher slopes up there, buddy. You know, but, but listen, I said, if you can make it down, this one tougher slope right here at the, near the bottom, without falling, I'll take you with me. And he tried again and again and again, and he couldn't do it. And finally, near the end of the afternoon, he gets off the lift. After he tripped me again, I fell all over him. <laughs> It's this jumble of skis and poles right there to stop the lift. Anyway, he looks at me, and he points his skis, and he goes straight down. No stopping, no pausing, and he managed to keep himself up and didn't wipe out the little kindergarten girls at the bottom of the thing and didn't break their legs, and he made it, and he lifted his arms, and he cheered for himself, and it was great. And because he did it right after that, because he braved that mountain, his brother and sister are right behind him went down the hill the same way. See, his courage and bravery rubbed off on him, on them. And when we got home, I asked him, I said, buddy, what motivated you to go down the mountain like that? How did you do it? I said, there would have been no shame in just quitting and not doing it. But he looked at me and he just, he said, I just kept thinking about going all the way to the top of the mountain. You love that? I just kept thinking about going all the way to the top of the mountain. And friends, I just want to go all the way to the top of the mountain with you this year. I just want to go all the way to the top with you. I just keep thinking about going all the way to the top with you, past our country circumstances and issues and news and all that stuff. Going with you to the top. We are better together. When we do this, who knows? who come along behind us.